Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of PLP Talks, where we have interesting conversations with people we know in and around the bicycle industry. In this episode, I'm going to interview a longtime friend and new bike shop owner, Arlie Greenwald. Arlie has been in the bike industry for a long time as a bike shop employee, as a blogger, as a QBP rep. In this interview, we talk about some of the insights she's had about the bike industry, how bike shops can be better, but most importantly, how she is going to apply those things herself to her brand new bike shop in Denver, Colorado. If you're a bike nerd, love bike shops, work at the bike shop, this episode is for you. And just a quick note, if you like content like this, consider supporting the podcast. I'm gonna put all the ways you can do that in the show notes below. You can do it via PayPal and Patreon. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview. So welcome to the show, Arlie Greenwald, also known as Bike Shop Girl. Uh, so Arlie, you've been in the bike industry for a long time in kind of different capacities. For those that aren't familiar with you, can you talk about your history in the bike industry? Yeah, so 15, maybe 14-year-old Arlie, I went by bike everywhere. And my mom was like, if you're going to keep busting things, you need a job. So why not get a job at the bike shop that I visited a lot? So this was in Annapolis, Maryland. I was really fortunate that a shop called Bike Doctor hired me to basically install kickstands and unbox bikes. And there they had a couple of unique things. First, they had a true master mechanic where that person understood their job was to teach others. And then the other thing that was great for me uh, for six months, right when I started, there was a woman that worked there. Um, you know, in I've worked in the bike industry 18 years, and it's super rare to work with another woman. So mm-hmm. I think if she wasn't in play, like she was a local college student, if she hadn't been in play, my view of what a bike shop would be as a you know a young female probably would have been much different. And and she went to St. John's, which is like a really strong liberal arts college and she was vocal you know like (laughs) nobody in the shop messed with her and just it was a good um learning experience you know like I wouldn't call her a mentor but it was just great to see like she stood her ground and this was you know 18 years ago in the bike world so uh fast forward you know I've worked in almost every facet of the industry I've worked in shops I've raced Um, I was a rep for quality bicycle products. I've worked and run brands and I've always like every four years I fall out of love with the industry and I go and get a job in like an ad agency, Um, which is actually great because I get real life experience of, you know, big advertising buys, running a, a marketing campaign in a business completely outside of the bike industry, uh, which brings us to the bike shop you know, which, um, it's a, a fairly new endeavor, but if you talk to anyone that knows me, even you guys, like it, it was one of those things, like once all the stars aligned, it was like a no brainer for us to do. Right. Right. So what's the, um, you, you run a podcast as well. That's more bike industry focus. Um, kind of what are the things that are making bike shops successful now and like what of that are you applying to the shop you guys are opening Mm, good question so yeah the podcast uh, shift up was actually one of the reasons it was a motivator for opening a shop you know because i kept talking to people over and over again about this huge section of interested but concerned 
people that want to try biking. So when I visit bike shops or just bike shops you can visit online, it seems like it's all community and customer service driven. Um, the shops that are doing really well are not threatened by online or Amazon. You know, they realize their place in the world, you know, if it's service driven, if it's community focused, and that's what they harness instead of, you know, agonizing over losing a derailleur sale. Right. In what ways do you see bike shops that do the, the community aspect well? What what are, you know, is it programming? Is it uh, their social media stream? Like how does, how do you see like the modern bike shop building a community? All of the above. <laughs> so it really depends what your niche is, right? Like if you're a high-end road shop, maybe it's events and workshops and having a training program throughout the winter. Um, if, you know, you're a more community-driven shop or like a nonprofit, it's going to be workshops and learn to ride. And also just, you mentioned social media, but it's been interesting for me to to digest what makes a great bike shop, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I've seen wonderful bike shops across the country, but I haven't seen, so the three things that I really look at for a great bike shop is the first, you know, the operations of it. So it's a well-run machine. Um, what comes to mind are, are typically very large, like Trek and specialized dealers. They have the business sense. They pay their employees well. You know, they offer benefits, mm-hmm. well-organized. They have inventory under control <laughs> where they're, they're turning things properly. Um, and then the second would be what we're talking right now, with, which is community, which is the culture of cycling and making yourself uh, irreplaceable in your, your area, whatever your niche is. And then the third is marketing, which could feed into, you know, it's an ecosystem. But I've walked into so many shops that I, I loved them based off their Instagram or Twitter. And I walked in and I was like, this is disgusting. Or like, when was the last time you cleaned your bathroom? Right. Or, you know, you get to talk to their employees and they're all burnt out and they're not paid well and they don't have health benefits. Um, so I think those are like the three key ingredients in my opinion. Um, you know, and I've seen only, you know, maybe four or five in my tenure that do all of them well. Um, you know, and it's running a small business is really hard. And especially as the bike industry grows and evolves and things, you know, like I was reading an article about e-bike hate the other day. (laughs) Our industry is too small for this segmentation. From the bike shops that you visited, like what are, what are some of your favorites? What are you, you know, what's the shop that you're like, oh, this is, they're doing it right. This is something I want to model my shop after. I'm kind of pulling different things. So our shop will be really family and transportation focused. Um, If you've read anything about why we're opening this shop, you know, my kids are really the motivation in this. You know, my daughter rides her bike to school every day and I see the difference when she has the opportunity to bike to school versus driving or maybe sitting in the stroller. And we live in a planned community. Stapleton's where the old airport for Denver was until like 20 years ago. And now it's 10,000 homes connected by bike paths and bike lanes. So if we have like this proving ground to create this family and transportation focused shop. Right. So with that in mind, you know, I love what GNO Family Cyclery are doing up in Seattle. Um, Davey has become a really good friend of mine over the years. And I love 
the same thing. You know, he came from outside of the blanket industry, actually, and they just needed a shop that sold what they were doing, which was family biking. And they created a shop and they really are so loyal to their customers and so focused in what they're doing. And it's been helpful to me because, you know, um, it's easy to get sucked into the bike industry, like sex appeal, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Oh yeah, I could sell $5,000 road bikes. Like I've gone through fit training and I have experience in that, Mm -hmm. but there's also other good road shops in the area that I could send people to. Um, so GNO Family Cyclery, um, I really like what Propel is doing in New York City. You know, the fact that um, he's a veteran and he got into e-bikes and the fact that he stuck it out through the New York City e-bike ban and did well. Um, New Wheel, which is in San, San Fran and Marin County, they, for the most part, only do e-bikes. Um, they do sell Brompton at one of their locations, but they are so focused on the procedures and experience. Um, GNO and the new wheel don't sell online. Propel does. Um, and then, you know, like it's the small shops that to me are your local bike shop that we probably have all visited them, but you walk in, they know their customer base. Um, it might not be like the cleanest or the most retail experience focused, but they're doing it genuinely because they love bikes Mm -hmm. you know and i think every community has that um and then i pull a lot of my inspiration from outside of the industry like anthropology or your favorite hipster coffee shop so where are you guys uh currently in the process of of building out the shop uh let's see flooring's done Uh, we're doing electrical this week so you know my hope is after i get back from interbike you know we'll be open light hours so like three to four days a week. Um, the There's two difficult pieces. One, we have winter here in Colorado. So I don't want to hire too much um, going into the dead season. But the other piece is like just finding people to work in this super niche, unique shop, you know, where um, I'm calling them unicorns. But, you know, it's it's somebody that you would feel comfortable putting in front of a family with two kids jumping in on and off bikes that also wants to deal with these unique bikes, you know, cargo and electric are still pretty new that it's not like a road bike, like a road bike, unless I'm building it from parts, I could probably build it up in 30 minutes to 45 minutes, extra cycles and electric front loading cargo bikes. Like you guys have ridden the urban arrow, like building that from scratch. It's a multi, you know, maybe a two hour process. Um, so you have to have somebody with the empathy and social skills to deal with families and and people from all, you know, economic classes. So like somebody walking in with a Walmart bike to the $8,000 electric bike they bought last week. And you want to deal with this super complicated high-tech machine that isn't sexy like a high-end road bike. Right. That's a rare breed. <laughs> I feel just like in your typical bike shop, you know, we, we go into many bike shops when we travel and it's kind of hard to find someone that that's a people person, <laughs> you know, that where yeah. you walk in and you don't feel like you're kind of disturbing their, their wrenching, you know, but they're you know kind of public facing and are, and are okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is part of, um, you know, I, I wrote that article a few years ago, the, the bike industry is sick. And, and this is a big part of it where the hiring and training process 
in the bike industry, if it exists, it, it's super small and you have to like earn your cred um, compared to like, think about what's happening in the tech industry where there's boot camps and apprenticeships and you don't have to be hired in a bike shop to get into the industry. Um, you don't have to be hired into a software company to break in, right? Like you can go through training first. And I've heard of things like, you know, Trek does some things. Um, there's UBI, there's Barnett's training, uh, but not enough like apprenticeships. So what we're working through really up until Interbike, and then I'm going to Interbike to talk with um, the Pro Bicycle Mechanic Association, because we're going to be using, they have different levels of certification. We're going to be using that as part of our training. But my goal is, you know, I'm going to be looking at the service industry, like coffee shops and baristas and, um, you know, waitresses to bring them in, you know, like I've been joking, but it's real. Like their test is going to be, can you build Ikea furniture? Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's a table, you know, cause that will show me how they problem solve, but the rest we can train. I can't train someone to be a good person, you know? And, and, and that's what I feel like is a big bottleneck in the bike industry where, People start because they love bikes, not because they're the best salesperson or, um, you know, maybe they're the fastest in their road group. And now, you know, the, the shop's excited to hire this stud bike racer. Um, so just really trying to reinvent how we hire and train people. And hopefully, like, they move up. But on the flip side, how can we make you know, financially, how can we commit to these people, but also make it a career. So, you know, they're making livable wages, they have health benefits, they have other benefits. Um, they ha aren't working crazy hours. Um, so that's on the backside, not only like, how do I find these people, but how do I keep them? Um, to your knowledge, like, uh, there's, there sounds like there's a, a lot of training and certification on the technical aspect of, you know, being a bike mechanic. Is there any program that that does focus on that sales side people in a public facing side of <laughs> of the job i've gone through some classes with trek and specialize but they only offer that to their dealer base so i i've been working through um so there's also man university man with two m's um they do a lot of training in all sorts of things from um displays and merchandising to you know, HR, all these things, but the shop has to buy into it. So that's something that I'm also looking into. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Yeah. I mean, some of the best ones I've been through are through Trek and Specialized and just starting to look at Man University. I'm curious, like you, like you mentioned, you guys have winter. We have winter here too. How, how do you keep the, the bike stoke alive? How, what are your plans to, to keep uh, engaging with the community when, when people aren't riding as much? Our winter is not as harsh as yours based off of your Instagram feed last winter. Um, you know, Denver, you know, is in the valley next to the mountains. So, you know, thankfully we might get a few weeks of terrible weather, but then it will be 70 degrees the next day. Um, so a few things, first off, like we're really focused on transport. So, you know, just get keeping those people riding throughout the year. Um, and the second we're fortunate that there's a lot of um, large indoor spaces that we could use for like strider bike races. Um, so, you know, like keeping kids engaged and involved and keeping our fingers crossed that for our monthly like Kitako mass ride, 
it's nice weather, you know, and it might mean riding a mile to get hot chocolate. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of workshops starting this winter and, and just focusing on the indoor piece, you know, and not, and not indoor training, but just, you know, how can we get people excited about riding in the winter? Because uh, again, here it, it doesn't stay cold too long. So we just have to get people out the door when it's cold. And thankfully, people are used to skiing and snowboarding. So they probably have the gear and they just have to apply it to biking. Our friend Toffer, who runs Pedal Missoula, we've been experimenting with like programming um, in the bike shop. There's this monthly kind of art event called First Friday. So people are generally out and attendance like dropped precipitously once the weather got nice. So it's almost, oh, yeah. it's almost like better to do indoor programming when, when the weather's crappy and people want to get outside the house and just socialize. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, if you look at our business plan, um, we basically have three pillars, but the first is what every bike shop is, which is brick and mortar. The second's e-commerce and just online content marketing. So I plan on using a lot of the winter to do the bike reviews, to do the tutorials so that in the season we can just be trickling it out. Um, and then the third is events. So, um, you know, farmers markets and what I call hipster craft fairs, you know, and training will be there for selling, you know, we'll have like panniers and shirts and things like that, but where possible, we'll also be having electric bikes and cargo bikes for people to try. Cause once you try them, you know, I'm not sure your experience on electric bikes, but once people try them, it, it really shifts their mentality about it. Cause a lot of people think it's a, it's like a moped, right? <laughs> like you, you pedal started and it, it will just go and you can do that with class three electric bikes, but we're only going to stock class one where it just assists you, you know, so it's not taking away from the experience of biking. So that's a lot of the, the last two pieces are what we'll focus on in the winter, right? Like getting to places where people might've biked there, but they're not used to seeing bike shops and trying to make it so that you're not forced into our bike shop to experience, you know, biking and, and the culture of biking. And then that marketing piece of just, you know, if, if we're slow, great, let's crank out a 30 minute video of how to properly use your ABIS locks, um, you know, things like that. So who do you anticipate to be your customer? Are these cyclists like that people that identify as cyclists and are looking at e-bikes or non-cyclists that just want to get around? For the first year, my target audience is going to be that interested but concerned like athlete that didn't know they could go all the places they could with a bike. Um, you know, the families that are athletic that maybe did camping and biking before kids and now they want to bring the kids with them, which is a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. So for the first year, those are the first two markets. And then expanding to the transportation, you know, I'm a diehard city commuter, you know, that are going to be interested in like Surly or all city, um, you know, dynamo hubs and things like that. And, and, you know, the end of the day, it's not talked about enough in, in the bike industry, but we're really running this like a startup, like, our minimum viable product of, okay, let's bring in a lot of demo bikes and give people's feedback before we invest $65,000 in bike inventory. Right. You know, so how can we get more people to ride test? So you could ask me that question in a year and I could say, yeah, this is what I thought, 
but this is who showed up. Um, and I think, you know, the way the bike industry historically has been run, you place your pre-seasons for next year right about now. Mm-hmm. So July through September. And you're gambling on that brand doing a good job marketing and that you ordered the right product. Um, so we've done our best to work <clears throat> with companies that have just-in-time inventory where, um, for example, Linus is a bike that we've already done really well with and we're not even open, just pre-selling bikes or you know having them for test ride. And they just keep them in stock all the time because they sell them nationally through all seasons and you know yeah your green might not be in stock but they have three other colors and working with brands like that that aren't requiring this huge pre-season you know i'll commit to dollars but i won't commit to the specific product so the goal is really from now until february getting people on them you know like we have demos from extra cycle um turn the gsd and Urban Arrow, and just getting people to try them, like go forth and you know, and do whatever you would with them, and and ask us questions, and maybe you'll come up with things that we didn't think about. Maybe we don't have the right accessories on them, and that will really tailor what happens in March when we start really loading up on inventory. Is it kind of scary in a way to? Uh, you know, participated and observed the industry and now like double down and open up your own shop and put all, you know, your theories and learning into practice. I don't know if it's scary, you know, it's more just because of all those things. Like I know of all the like 50 things I want to do differently, which takes time to figure out like even e-commerce, right? Like getting the products properly on the website, you know, so the SEO and, and Google finds us you know, that takes time. Um, so I'm, I don't feel scared, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, we're not borrowing money, mm-hmm. you know, so this is mine to screw up, um, <laughs> mine to be successful as well. So I think there's that piece where like, other than paying for employees and paying for rent, you know, we're going to own all our inventory for the first year. And once we have historical data, I'll take bigger gambles on, you know, terms with customer or terms with companies. Um, but for now, it's it's um, it's more just exciting, and and I go back to that why all the time. Like, um, we have ten thousand homes in our just our neighborhood, but also just Denver proper, right? Like Denver's growing, and there's no shop really set up one for family biking, but also just um, inviting. You know, they're all your typical bike shops, and so. For me, it's exciting to see that finally pay off, you know, like for like the analogy I would say is like, it's like you going out and and shooting for like two weeks and you have all this footage and now you finally get to put it all together. And that's really how I feel instead of a lot of people have asked me and they're like, how are you feeling? Like, are you sleeping? And I'm like, yeah, you're like, it feels like this was what I was meant to do. And the last 18 years was just figuring out what went right for people and what went wrong. Um, And I think really reimagining what a bike shop can be. You know, I, I said like the, the coffee shops in anthropology, but really making it about a retail experience instead of walking in and being overwhelmed with parts and bikes and um, a third, I 
think it's a third of our showroom is going to be a kid section. And we're going to have two to three bike brands, just kids bike brands and a play area and accessories. And, and we're working through like our trade up program and things like that. But that to me, like when I tell reps that they're like, what you have, how much square foot, you know, dedicated to, to kids. And I'm like, yeah, this is why we're doing it. You know, like my, my job isn't to sell a bunch of $4,000 cycle cross bikes. Like that's been done. You know, there's enough shops doing it. Like how do we reimagine and make the bike industry inviting? So I'm excited, not scared. <laughs> I still remember like the first time I walked into um, Clever Cycles. Um, this was like ages ago. And it was the first bike shop that didn't look like a bike shop to me. Usually it's just like, you know, asses to elbows, bikes like pouring out of the walls. But here it was very kind of open space, lots of empty space. And, you know, it just, it felt like a, it felt like a Mac store initially, you know? So what like kind of physical things are you doing to the shop space? So it's, it's more inviting. Same, you know, Clever, when I, I haven't visited Clever, but I've saved a lot of photos off the internet. <laughs> um, you know, the same thing, you know, like if you were going to have a lot of Ikea fixtures, you know, that the goal is really to feel like a boutique. Um, and going back to that idea that we have a lot of demo bikes. And I think next, um, so we have 1,700 square feet and we have right of first refusal to the space next to us. That's the same size. And I think we're going to take that next spring to store bikes, you know, and for that same thing, you know, people, people think I'm crazy when I say this, but, you know, you don't have to have every size on the, the showroom floor. You just have to have them built so somebody can test drive it. Um, so the same feeling, right? Like, so you walk in and it, you can identify like, oh, I'm looking at city bikes. Here's the city bike section. Here's the story of good, better, best. Here's the curated product that goes along with this bike. Um, same with electric bikes and kids' bikes. You know, like, okay, my kid is this height. Okay, I should look at these bikes. Um, you know, and and it will be fun for me, you know, just as we're laying out the shop, like, you know, kind of playing Tetris and testing out different things. Um, but I think, you know, taking a step back, one of the first things you'll see from our shop um, starting in September, we have a 65 by 18 foot mural going on the outside wall. Um, and the designs are in final, but you know, the, the direction I gave the muralist was a mom and her kid on a bike path, you know, with helmets, um, sorry, helmet haters. Um, and that's, that's the goal, you know, and, and for a few reasons, one, we're on this gentrification line that I want to make sure everybody knows they're welcome. Um, two, we're in a really weird building. So it's the old FAA building. It looks like a motel. I'll, I'll, I'll post more photos. It's very interesting. Um, so we also want to make it clear that we're a bike shop. And then just to set that tone for before you walk in the door, you know, it's colorful and cheerful and family focused instead of, you know, bent over an aggressive position. Um, and then walking in, you know, like, pulling from restoration hardware or Ikea, like, you know, just light open, like you said, clever cycles. Like I've seen many videos of people riding their bikes around inside clever cycles. And that's the goal. Like how can we make it maybe not adult 
can ride around, but kids, you know, like the fixtures are safe, products are bolted down, um, you know, how, and then the, the service section will just be a check-in and like spot repairs. And then the, the heavy service will be in the back um, for two reasons. One, so we can crank through service, but two, so, you know, whoever's helping you is nice and clean and, you know, think about like a car experience, right? Like you don't drive your car right into the service bay. Um, you know, all the tools for the most part are going to be hidden in toolboxes and um, just keeping it clean and inviting so that, you know, it feels more like um, a place that you could bring your kids and, and talk about whatever. Um, there's a lot of ideas we have thrown around. Like when we take the space next door, do we want to add coffee? I think we're going to have coffee from the beginning, but we're not charging for it. You know, just here's some coffee, tea, your kids need juice. Great. Um, we've talked about having like Saturday morning story hour or music hour or something where you would bring your family to come, you know, spend 30 minutes at the bike shop. That's not bike related. Um, you know, things like that. We have a large space that we could use for like bike and movies and, um, you know, it's really like, how do we make biking so normalized, you know, that it's like going down the street for a cup of coffee or a beer? As a new business, like, what do you think is going to be, you know, your initial uh, tactic to get customers on online? Like what, like what, what platforms or what social media strategies do you think will, will play out the best? Good question. Uh, you know, what I'm seeing right off the bat you know, will always be search engine optimization. Like, you know, so the the part we left out on all this for about 12 years, first I ran, ran commutebybike.com and then I buy a car and, and sold commutebybike.com um, to buy a car, ironically. Um, and then I started up Bike Shop Girl and, you know, really focused on women and, and family empowerment and cycling. So really pulling from that, like, how can I use content marketing and articles and, um, you know, writing for various publications to drive traffic? But also, like, if you're looking for a, a city bike in Denver, we come up first. So search and en engine optimization and then a lot of what you do. So, like, you know, bike reviews that are both going to be in written form and then potentially video, especially for the the electric and cargo bikes that without seeing it, it's hard to like picture. Um, Cause like, I think you did a, a few for clever cycles, you know? So it's the same idea, you know, like how can we show like how the top works and why this is a superior product, but also talk through who it's for and who it's not. Like the thing I struggle and I've seen you write about it. So I think you agree. So many media outlets right now are like, this is the best bike ever. And they said that like two weeks before, um, instead of really talking through like who it's for and why it would benefit them, but maybe not be good for these other three reasons. Um, so still being honest in our product and, and reviews. And um, so I think YouTube, social, um, you know, one, probably the main reason it's called Bike Shop Girl is so we can keep all that branding. You know, we have 15,000 followers on Twitter. We have several thousand on YouTube and then same with, um, Facebook, you know, we have like 9,000 followers on Facebook or 8,000. And to me, that's just social clout. If somebody is looking for a cargo bike in Denver, 
not only do they find us, but they find this huge following and they, you know, compared to most bike shops that might have a thousand. Um, so I'm using that most as social clout. And then as we build e-commerce, my goal, and I would love feedback as people are listening to this, like my target audience is interested, but concerned. And I feel like a lot of the e-com platforms ignore them, you know, like think of like the Jensen, the competitive cyclist, um, you know, where can you go to really learn about Banjo Brothers bags and Ocampo bags, you know? Um, so being deliberate with what we carry in the shop that we can also, we're allowed to sell it online, but, you know, using Banjo Brothers I've used for 10 years and, you know, they were the first, one of the first companies I contacted and I was like, Mike, am I allowed to sell your stuff online? Okay, great. <laughs> you know? Um, but it's been interesting. Like, I, you guys are kind of on the cusp of the bike industry. Like you're far enough away that you're not um, in the, the throes of it, but it just feels like so many people ignore general cycling, you know, just going to the coffee shop, the hybrids, the, the five to $600 bikes. And because they're not sexy, they just forget about them. And I can always remember, you know, my first Trek dealer that I worked at where I started when I was 15, they would tell me like our bread and butter are hybrids, the 7,200 and navigator series from Trek. That is what pays the bills. They didn't ever market it. They, you know, it was just a section in the shop that didn't have special signage or anything like that compared to like, at that time they sold a lot of Cannondale and project one. Um, this was in the Lance era. So like they had dedicated sections to that, like really sexy, like, signs and things like that and and that always stuck with me like why are we ignoring the part of the industry and the part of the um, target market that pays our bills because it you know you have to sell six five hundred dollar bikes you know to justify one high-end sale but they're much easier to sell you know and it's what will change our communities not more spandex What's the, I guess, the climate of the bike shop culture in Denver? Are, are there many bike shops opening? Are they closing, stagnating? Is it focused primarily on the, the sport end of, of cycling? So it feels like every time two closes, one opens, um, or they rename or something like that. Um, the In general, when I moved to Colorado five years ago, I was really taken back about the bro culture and just type A athletics here. One reason we house a lot of Olympians and just the level of racing is much different. Like to be competitive at a cat three, you have to have a coach and be training 20 hours a week. Um, and because of that, it feeds a lot of bike shops, you know, like bike shops are used to selling five to $6,000 mountain bikes all day long. Um, you know, there's a handful of shops. When I say there's probably three or four in all of the Denver metro area that do an okay job with like city and in general riding. Um, Vail Sports, which owns a lot of our ski resorts, also owns a large bike chain called Bicycle Village, and that's your like, think like Trek Superstore, and they they do a fine job. You know, we also have an REI mega store like the most gorgeous retail experience ever 
um, in downtown Denver. So they also help feed the general cycling population. Um, but I would say most shops you walk into are geared towards racers or um, high-end enthusiasts, you know, that think the like three pound lighter bike is going to make them climb faster. Right. <laughs> We've kind of redirected our focus on our YouTube uh, channel to kind of capture, you know, people that aren't doing like epic adventures all the time, but are kind of curious because there's a lot more of those people, you know, and it's interesting looking at the YouTube space. There's tons of people that are doing, um, you know, really fast road riding or extreme mountain biking, but to kind of capture and speak to and, and find, you know, that big swath of people and in, in between is, is, uh, is pretty challenging. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very valid point. You know, people ask me like, what is your, um, like, what's your YouTube strategy? And, you know, I was joking, but I was like, I want to be GCN for stay-at-home moms that are interested right. in Because <laughs> if you look at the mommy blogger space, you know, and I was a stay-at-home mom for a few years, and there's this inspiration and aspiration piece of, you know, this lifestyle blogging and, and video and Instagram that the bike industry completely forgets, other than maybe the Linus of the world or the direct to consumer, but, you know, we always go to tech. We don't go to like what you can do with this or telling stories. And, and that's one reason I really loved when you were doing the tourism piece, because you showed what you could do with your bike instead of, you know, this pump is easier to get to hundred PSI because of blah, 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 you know? Um, so I think it's an interesting green space you know for you guys and for us but it's also like sad where it's like why why is the bike industry ignoring really the the change agent that we need right like the bike industry is shrinking shops are closing and all we are doing is focusing i look at like the funnel the marketing funnel and we're fighting over the bottom right we're fighting over people that already ride or interested like instead of feeding more people up top yeah uh, so yeah, I and I really have enjoyed your kind of slight shift. Um, it's been fun to show people we have a lot of fishing here in Colorado. You know, like, hey, instead of driving that two miles out of town, go bike. It's on a gravel road. It's super safe. Go. And like the light bulb that goes off, because they already have all the gear, because they backpack or whatever. You don't have to go camping. You like, just go for your adventure pedaling instead of driving. Yeah. yeah, I think the, I mean, not specific to the bike industry, but we like the extremes, like, you know, the extreme adventurers or, you know, the extreme athletes, but that's not, I don't think that's what everyone aspires to. It seems like the easy thing for the bike industry to support because, you know, you know, someone's winning races, it's quantifiable, it's measurable. Um, you know, it's easy to put those kinds of people on a podium and maybe a little bit more difficult to find good ambassadors of just like everyday cycling. Uh, to promote as well. Um, I mean, I was thinking like, you know, when, when Specialized did their series of videos with like Ultra Romance, Sarah Swallow and, and Lael, that was actually a brilliant move, you know, because these are people that aren't competitive racers, but have some social media clout that people look up to um, and gives a, another example of, you know, different types of cycling. Yeah, I, I agree. And my hope is they, we just take it a step further, right? Like how... And it, it just might follow on us when 
small creators, but like, how do we show, you know, a family of with two kids being able to either be car free or car light, you know, because as a mom, the things that I, when I watched those videos, I was like, that's great, but these people have no responsibilities in the world, right? Like, they can just check out for two weeks and go on this ultra endurance ride and somebody, you know, they just have to pay for food and maybe some lodging. But, you know, I was looking at like, what the hell would I do with my kids? Like what, what with all these things? Um, and it's, I don't know. It's, I want to make like minivan commercials. Like, and I, I've joked a few times in my, my podcast, but that's really it. Like I want to normalize biking so much that you know if you think about minivan commercials like their their features include like you can wave your foot and the door opens right you know but if you're a mom you understand why that matters right you know? <laughs> like or like with you guys like you know you could fit your two kids and a full air mattress right. and go biking or go camping with your van 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 life um so that's the the struggle I have right now with marketing is like even the van life like this is great but I can't relate to it. The only one I can really relate to um Jen with Pedal Adventures who I think they have a sprinter and they they do homeschooling but they travel all over but she's just a normal woman. Like she doesn't do like ultra marathons and things like that. Um, yeah, so I want to make the minivan commercials for the bike industry. Nice. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, so when when uh, can people come visit your shop and have the, the full retail experience? Full retail experience, I would say March. March, okay. Uh, the, the minimum viable product, September through March. Um, you know, and, and it's still going to be classy and, and good. It just won't be fully stocked or staffed. Um, and, you know, that's honestly where if people are listening to this, like I would need their help the most, like come in and give feedback, go try bikes, um, come on rides, things like that, you know, so that we can tailor based off feedback. And that's actually been really fun for me. Like it takes a village, like literally. Um, but I think people, one, love the idea of just having a neighborhood friendly bike shop, but two, they like to see that they're they're putting their stamp on it, you know, whatever that small piece is. Like I have a friend that's um, a woodworker on the side and he was like, I would love to come help however I can, you know? And he was like, and if I get, he like burns his logo into things. And he was like, if I can put my logo a few places that benefits me, but I would just love to help you, you know? And, and all sorts of people like that, you know, our branding was redone by a friend who, I don't, I don't know how or why he took the time to do it, but like he does work for like Instagram and Reebok, you know, and, and, you know, just to have people pitching in, like, I'm sure you guys have experienced when you travel, like, it's so humbling, you know, to realize like people are willing to, to take time and spend time on you. Right. Right. Cool. Well, uh, I think I'll wrap it up here. Thank you, Arlie, so much uh, for the interview. And I'm going to put all the links to uh, the bike shop where you can follow her in the description and the show notes. And if you guys find yourselves in Denver, uh, be sure to make a visit. And thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, everyone.